0: It was one of those pristine <laughs> mountain days. There wasn't a not a cloud in the sky. I arrived early. No cars parked on the side of the road, and I carefully traversed the steep slope down, and I pushed through the brush. There was no one there. This was the spot that the fly fishing store owner had told me about, and it was all mine. And I built my rod, and I uh, just gently tossed the string. Don't worry, there's no hook on the end of it, Andrew. This is church. I flipped it out one time, almost exactly where I thought those little rainbow trout would be swimming. in. Wallop, first one, bite. I start stripping it in quickly. This was gonna be a great day. Not only was it a successful fishing trip, but I was gonna have rainbow trout for dinner. (sighs) Woo, I was loving it. Again, I threw it out, flipped it in the same spot. Boom, second fish, flip it out, third fish. I'm pulling them in, and then I hear it. Some kind of loud voices people stumbling down the slopes, and I look up and, oh no, it's a fly fishing guide bringing a novice right to my spot. I wasn't going to move, you know, I was there, (laughs) I I was excited to, this was one of those days, you know, where everything you're throwing in catches it, and so I'm thinking, well, it's not going to be as river runs through it, Brad Pittish fly fishing day that I wanted, but at least it's one of those days where the fish are biting, so I kept going, and, and soon the guide comes, and he sets up about 15 yards from me, and I'm watching him, and man, as only a master fly fisher could, he's perfectly spinning that line out, and I'm mesmerized by it, and I, I drop my line again just to watch him, but all of a sudden, boom, I hit another fish. <laughs> I pull it in, and then I just get lost once again watching him. He's not catching anything. But I keep throwing mine out and boom, another fish. Well, by now he's getting a little annoyed at me. And so as I'm tossing my line out there, he looks at me and goes, hey, you know you're not doing it right. I, I, I let my line down. I, oh, oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, What do I need to be doing? And right when I say that, boom, another fish. So I start stripping it in. He goes, well, you're not. And I said, excuse me for a second. I didn't mean to sound cocky, but I said, I'm catching too many fish to work on getting better, sir. (laughs) He he was not amused at all. Instead, he just kind of huffs and puffs and and gets his little pupil and go off to another spot. They hadn't caught one. (laughs) I think I pulled in 10 or 11 rainbow trout that day. And as I was getting out and reflecting on the whole experience I had, I had this thought. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are or how professional you are when you're in the right place at the right time and the fish are biting. And that's what I want to say today as we begin our second message on discipleship. Is that it it really doesn't matter how skilled you are. It doesn't matter how much you have in your head. Is if you get in the right place and the right time and the fish are biting, you're going to catch a fish. Uh, I want to talk this morning about finding your first disciple. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And a lot of times I think we're just thinking about evangelism. We're thinking just about sharing the gospel with people. But if you look at the Bible, Jesus doesn't call us to just go and make decisions. He teaches us to go and make, to go and make disciples. disciples. Hey, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If I could get a uh, fisherman to maybe help me get this off the stage so I don't break it. Matthew 28... 18 through 20 says this, or 19, I'm sorry, 19 through 20 says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always till the end of the age. If no one would watch me while I change uh, right now. (laughs) It's kind of awkward getting undressed in front of all you. We... um. We're called by Jesus to make disciples. He called us, each one of us, his followers, to go and make disciples. It's got to start with one. It's got to start with you catching your first fish, with you finding your first disciple. And, and let me just share with you some of my mistakes so you don't make the same mistakes that I did because it's really not that hard. My... Um, My first discipleship experience happened this way. I had been meeting with Mark Masterson. If you heard my story, he was the guy that first discipled me. And he said, now listen, Robert, I will disciple you if if you'll go and disciple some other guys. And I like a challenge, so I thought, awesome, I'll do it. And and I didn't really think about, you know, who I was going to disciple. I just immediately was like, I'm going to look for the guys who need it most. So I, 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 I went into my fraternity that next week and I just started scanning the room and I was like, I'm going to look for the biggest sinners. I'm going to look for the guys that are Christians that are living the most immoral lives. I'm going to look for the people who need me. And, and, and so I remember, I remember getting you know, some just total party guys. These, these were all Christians, but they were just living like pagans. And, and, and I thought this, I truly thought this, I thought, I'm gonna get in a room with these guys, and through the fire of my life, their icy hearts are just gonna melt and be transformed into these volcanic infernos. I thought, man, you know, a couple weeks in, I'll probably write my first book on discipleship, It'll be called Discipleship the Herber Way. You know, and I thought, certainly Mark Masterson's gonna look at me and go, now the teacher, you know, has become the student and my pupil, the master. I will follow you, great disciple, Robert. I mean, I, these were kind of the things that were going through my mind when I gathered these first guys in the apartment. So I, I put them together and I said, hey guys, you know, we're gonna get our lives changed by this thing called discipleship. And, and, and we're going to just start by talking about all the things in our lives that are just not like Jesus. And, and so we started going down around the room and just confessing our sins. And by the end of the day, I was like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is looking really bad. And so, you know, I, I tell them, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And, 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 and we're just going to get our lives changed. And so I'm so excited. I'm thinking this is going to be awesome. I come back the next week. And a couple guys are missing, and I'm like, what's going on? And I come back the third week, and, and we go around the room and share, and no one's done anything that I've said. And we come back the fourth week and the fifth week. By the fifth week, there's one guy left in the room. And I'm going, where are all the other guys? They hadn't been coming to church with me. They hadn't been coming to life group with me. And I finally asked this guy, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he goes, well, to be honest, I'm the only guy here, and I really don't want to do anything that you're saying. I'm not really interested in it. So, you know, can this just be over? Bummer! With that one statement, my first discipleship group just crashed and burned up in flames. And so I go back to Mark Masterson. I'm sitting with him and going, man, I just feel like a failure. You know, these guys I gathered to disciple, it just totally went nowhere. And he's like, you know, Robert, Let's look at what the Bible says. Classic Mark Masterson. Let's look at what the Bible says. You're almost like, no, I don't really want to look at what the Bible says. Because let's look at the, what the Bible says on where Jesus got his first disciples. So we went to John chapter 1. If you'd look at that with me, John chapter 1, starting in verse 28, it says, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let me just paint the scene for you for a minute. You've gone outside of Jerusalem, out into the wilderness. It's it's rough looking, maybe kind of like Ramona, out on Mount Laguna. There's a lot of brush, probably not the same tall trees, but you're in a more desert-like atmosphere. There's a, a river running right through, and you notice an interesting crowd. This isn't people in their Sunday best or in their Sabbath beautiful robes. This is a motley crew, of very poor ruffians, up to some wealthy people. You see some Roman soldiers looking on, trying to keep the peace. You see some Pharisees looking in disdain. Basically, there's a big crowd. It's not much order. It's rustling. It's bustling, and in the center of it is a And this man is wearing a strange garment of camel skin. He's got unkempt hair. His eyes are like burning with intensity. And he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And people are coming into the river, and he's baptizing them. This is John the Baptist's revival. There hasn't been anything like this in hundreds of years in Israel. Verse 29, the next day when John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, he says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Everyone was focusing in on John. I mean, this is a crazy phenomenon, going out in the wilderness, and yet he goes, boom, It's that guy right there. And you see this ordinary looking carpenter from Nazareth walking up. But people start, oh my gosh, what is that? They're talking, they're whispering, and they're pointing at this ordinary Jewish man walking towards him. This is what's going on here. Verse 32 is where we pick up. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on him is the one that will be baptized, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, this is verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, make note of that right there. If you have a a pen and you're reading a paper Bible, there's probably two of you in this room that are reading a paper Bible. Take your pen and write down two of his disciples. Can someone grab me a bottle of water? There's there's some right back there. Two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. (laughs) It's funny, he said that yesterday, right? People are going, wait, are we on Groundhog's Day? Same thing, happened yesterday. Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, "Hey, what do you want?" I'm sure that's exactly how he said, "Hey, what do you want?" They said, "Uh, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Where are you staying? (laughs) What a a funny question, right? They're like, "Um, what do we want? Uh, where are you staying? (laughs) Hey, found a cool place to stay out here in the desert? Where are you staying?" Come, he replied, ladies and gentlemen, Blake Slatton. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that, what Jesus had said and who had followed Jesus. I'm sorry, who had heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found this Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Okay, what's going on here? Mark pulls out this scripture before and said, where did Jesus get his first disciples? My first thought was, by a lake. Like, isn't that where Jesus got his first disciples? You know, like, okay, Mark, so are you telling me to go and hang out by a lake, like walk around the lake. Or, you know, it's also known as the Sea of Galilee. So like, Mark, do I go down to OB and just look for surfers and say like, drop your boards and follow me? <laughs> like that's what I thought. When I, when I read the Gospels, what I thought was that Jesus was just walking, you know, by the lake. And, and we never think of Jesus as, as kind of walking like an ordinary man. He's kind of like floating. And there's some, there's some people just minding their own business, they've been been mending their nets, and then Jesus said, like, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, and somehow they're just like, you know, just following Jesus like that, and no, but Mark pulled out the rest of the story. Where did Andrew and Peter first meet Jesus? They met him at a revival service. Have you ever seen this? I, I had never seen this. They were actually already John's disciples. They were in a place of tremendous spiritual hunger. There was an awakening going on in Israel, and these men were there already saying, I wanted to suck up every little bit of spiritual fire I can at John the Baptist's revival. And then when Jesus shows up, John goes, hey, that's him. That's who we've been looking for. And what do they do? They're like, whoa, we're with you. And Jesus says, okay, then come. Let me just tell you the first characteristic of people that you can disciple. When you're talking about finding your first disciple, the first characteristic of a person that you're gonna disciple needs to be is hungry. Say hungry. Hungry. Andrew and Peter, they were hungry. They were hungry for God. What I did, I made this mistake. I thought, I'm going to go get the the people who I think need it most, and I'm going to grab them by their collar and drag them into church. Have you ever done that before? I I know you have. I mean, we we as Christians are just so much like that. We're like, oh my gosh, my cousin, they're so messed up. I am going to go and change their life. You're like, come on, you know, and you're trying to drag them, and they're like, I'm not interested, and yes, yes you are. (laughs) And then what happens? We frustrate them and we frustrate ourselves, right? Because we're like, you're the one who wants it for them. They don't want it for themselves. Now, listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that we don't tell everybody about Jesus. I am saying that. I I, want to share with all kinds of people, no matter what their life is, how crazy it is. Some of those people are are, going to be the ones that receive Jesus like that. The woman at the well, the Syrophoenician woman, the demoniac. Right, you have the woman caught in adultery. Jesus stops and intersects their life and shares his good news. But do you know the ones that Jesus actually called to follow him day by day and poured hours into, they were hungry. Where do you find these kind of hungry people? Well, first, just look around. Look around this room, okay? How many people in this room had someone walk into their room and and either start, you know, pull out a gun, pull out a knife, and say, you come to church or it's over. (laughs) Okay, I don't don't see one hand. You are here because you're hungry, right? You came because you wanted to. Now, I don't think anyone was drugged here. I don't see leashes on any of you, praise God. (laughs) You're here because you're hungry. In a room like this, this is where you find your first disciples, or it's in life group. See, the, the deal with me is I was looking for guys, and I was like, they need it, and I feel bad for them, so I'm going to drag them into spiritual growth. You can't make someone want to grow spiritually. Let me just say that again. You can't make someone want to grow spiritually. And so the people who you disciple need to be ones that have hunger in them. So characteristic number one is hunger. Now let me just tell you three practices if you're going to find people to disciple. The first one is then Go to a place where people are hungry. Where is that? That's church. That's life group. That's people that are in your school. It's people that are in your work that that are asking you spiritual questions. Not not the ones where you say, hey, let me pray for you, and they're like, no, don't ever do that. I hate that. No, it's the people who are saying, hey, yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, thank you so much. These are the people that you want to disciple. Now, let's look at the next thing. From this story, this is, this is really interesting to me. This is the next characteristic we're looking for. Verse 38, it says this. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now watch this. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him and they spent that day with him. Number two characteristic you're looking for in people that you're going to disciple is they're available. They're available, say available. Available. They're hungry, and number two, they're available. Now, people can give all kinds of lip service to wanting to grow in God. They're, oh, yeah, uh, hey, I, 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 I want to meet with God. Oh, yeah, I want to become like Jesus. Oh, yeah, I want to jump up into discipleship. I, I want to just go for it. And then you text them, hey, you want to meet with me then? Oh, sorry, man. I'm busy for the next uh, two months. <laughs> what? No, no, it, it's people who will make the time. These guys spent the day with Jesus. They made themselves available. What I was learning in that first group of several guys that I was trying to disciple is I said, guys, the way we're going to grow is if we show up in the same places and hear the same teaching and we come to life group and we, we learn to worship and we learn to pray and they didn't show up to anything. They wouldn't make the time. They'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah cool, but then they'd never show up. They wouldn't make themselves available. They wouldn't even show up to the meetings with me. And so what happened, it just totally stalled out. We've got to disciple people who will actually make themselves available. So let's look at what Jesus did. Luke chapter 6 goes on to show how, how Jesus drew these, these guys close to themselves how he actually drew a man, and this is what Mark showed me, because remember, I had just gone out and just thought, who are the guys that need it most, and I'm just going to call them together, and it was all these guys, and I think the reason they came is because I was an older guy in the fraternity, and they probably thought they'd get in trouble if they didn't meet with me. And so, Mark says, no, what Jesus did is he prayed. (laughs) novel idea. Actually, pray about something you're going to do. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now look, the disciples, there were probably 72 to 120 of them. These were the people who were showing up in hungry places. Then Jesus goes away and goes, okay, now out of this this group, God, who should I meet with? And he prayed. He prayed, and his eyes were open to see the ones to call out to spend that daily time with him. There's these 12 that Jesus is going to walk with day by day, and then even there's a three that he really seems to invest in Peter, James, and John. He prayed. So I started praying. God, my last attempt at discipleship was a miserable failure. I need to get you involved. God, would you start showing me people? Would you start bringing hungry people into my life? Now, here's the interesting thing about the Bible. The Bible says that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, that we know that he hears us and that he'll give that to which is in accordance with his will. We know that we have what we ask for is what scripture says. Now, let me just ask you this question. It's not a trick question. Is it God's will that you make disciples? Let me just ask again. Is it God's will that you make disciples? Yes. Jesus said to all his followers, go and make disciples. This is normal Christianity. So you start asking God, show me who to disciple. Bring people to me to make disciples. He is going to answer that prayer. So God brought three young guys. I, 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 it basically just opened my eyes. I was a part of a life group and I saw these three younger guys. They were a couple years younger than me. One of them was named Billy, he was this kind of hippie artist, musician. Another guy was Nick, he was a tough athlete. Another guy was a a younger brother of one of my good friends, and I initiated with them. Those were my first disciples. But now we come to the third characteristic of people that you want to initiate discipleship with, and it's this. Coming back to the same story, John chapter 1, verse 43, if you'd go there with me. says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, here's, what I see in Philip's life, obviously he's hungry because he's at John the Baptist Revival. Obviously he's available because he's standing there ready for Jesus to ask him. But the third thing I see is that he's teachable. Characteristic number three, write it down, they're a teachable person. Now it's, it's hard to be teachable. It, it, it's, it's hard for someone to, to speak into your life. But we see here with Philip, Philip was someone who was studying the word of God, but then when he sees Jesus all of a sudden, he's like, oh my goodness, you're actually explaining to me you're the one that was to come. You're the Messiah. He's not saying, oh, I already know all these things. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so good versed in the law and the Old Testament that I already know there's nothing new you can teach me. He's going, oh my goodness, I'm learning something today and I need to go grab a friend and bring them into it. I don't know about you, but it's hard for Me, at least in the old days, it was really hard to be teachable. I remember Mark Masterson, the first guy to disciple me, he ends up coming to me one day and says, hey, Robert, do you like this girl? Like, are you attracted to her? And we'll just call her Shanene for a case of illustration. That's what's coming to my mind, Shanene. Robert, do you like Shanene? And I said, "Uh, no, I mean, she's a great girl. She's like a sister to me, but no, I don't like Shanene. He's like, well, you're giving off the vibe to Shenene that you like her. And I was like, no, no, man. And in my mind, honestly, I was like, hey, back off, bro. This is what I thought. I'm like, hey, man, I have sisters, Mark. I have little sisters, and I'm just treating them like my little sisters. I'm just treating Shenene like my little sisters, and you actually don't have sisters, and so I actually I know what to do, and you don't. This is what I'm thinking in my mind. But I was like, okay, try to be teachable. I was like, okay, you know, I I don't want to give off that vibe. The next day, an older woman comes up to me in the church and she's like, Robert, do you like Shanane? And I'm like, oh, no. I I wasn't like, oh, no, because I didn't like Shanane, even though I didn't like Shanane. I was like, oh, no, because Mark was right. He was right, and he was trying to speak into my life. And I'm going, oh, no, no, I don't like Shanane. She's like, well, you're totally giving off the vibe that you like Shanane. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to change. And I I learned I need to listen to what this guy is saying to me because he's trying to help me not do something stupid and draw someone's heart out. Now, project forward into a guy I started discipling. It also had to do with relationships. This guy was, was, was taken off in his discipleship relationship with me, but as he was as we were meeting, I started noticing, this guy has a very controlling girlfriend. Like, she, she would tell him what he could do and what he couldn't do, okay? And this is like a freshman in college. And, and, and then he's like, you know, she wouldn't want him even showing up to life group because she was jealous of his time. She didn't want him going to all these different church things. She started really controlling him, and I'm like, this is very unhealthy. And so I see this, and I finally bring it up to him. I'm like, hey, man, gosh, you know, those are things you don't really want to bring up, right? Like, hey, the girl you like, you know, this isn't really healthy for you. And I bring it up, and he just breaks down. Oh, man, I know. This is awful. And he ends up going, I'm going to break up with her. I'm like, wow, okay. You're going to break up with her? And he breaks up with her. I'm like, dang, that was impressive. You just broke up with this girl. And then she starts calling him, and threatening to hurt herself, and, and, and threatening this bad stuff, and he comes to me, and he's like, please don't let me go back to her. You're right. This is not good. I don't want to go back to her. This is, this is hurtful. This is a bad situation. So I'm like, okay, man. Well, I'm just going to pray for you. I mean, I can't keep you from going back to her, but I, I'm going to pray. I'll remind you. Two days later, I call him. Hey, man, just checking on you. Obviously, that was a rough couple of days. Just want to see how you're doing. He's like, hey, man. I'm doing good. I went back to my girlfriend. And I was like, "Oh, okay, let me just remind you of what was happening and how your relationship was and what you pleaded with me to not let you go back. He's like, hey, man, I got this. I know what I'm doing. You know, that was the end, that day, of his moving forward. He ended our discipleship relationship Stop stopped coming to the church. He even stopped believing in the power of God. This guy had seen God move in amazing ways just recently on a mission trip and he all of a sudden stopped believing. Why? Because God honors a teachable heart. But when we stiff arm people and say I don't need you, God has to resist us. The Bible says this, humble yourself under the mighty right hand of God and he'll lift you up. God actually stiff arms the proud, according to James chapter 4. Now here's what I see in the church in America. A lot of us think, if I just go for it enough, if I just seek God enough, then I'm going to become perfectly mature. Do you know that God will never give you all the right answers? No, no, think about this. Because I hear people saying, you know, uh, I don't really need that. It's just me and Jesus. Jesus. Oh, that was funny. (laughs) The spirit of Turkey just came in. On (laughs) it's just it's just me and Jesus, and Jesus says that He's the head, and the church is His body. Okay, you don't ever just have a relationship with someone's head, right? You're like walking on the street. Hey, what's up? You know, just that's sick, right? That'd be so weird. You need the body. It's never just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus. And a lot more of us around you, you know. That's what you need. God will never give you the full picture. Here's my question: Are you teachable? When's the last time someone spoke into your life and called you on something? So was that all the time? <laughs> That's awesome. We we need people speaking into our lives. Now listen to me, don't take advantage of this and you start mentoring someone, you don't start controlling them and tell them, go get me some iced tea right now. No, that's not, that's not what it's all about. It's about getting under someone and serving them and helping them be. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and give my life. When you start discipling people, you're laying down your life for people, but you can't disciple someone who's not teachable. You know, those people that you're like, hey, have you thought about it? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that. That never works. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Hungry, available, and teachable. Now let's talk about those three practices again. First, Jesus went where people were hungry. Number two, he prayed. But number three, the third, the third practice To start making disciples, I've got to illustrate it through a story. Going back to fishing and my love for catching rainbow trout, you know the biggest trout I ever pulled in? It was a fish that I actually didn't catch. Here's the story. There's a lake called Lake Poway about 45 minutes north of here. And I decided to take my kids along with me. Now, I love to have a fly rod and just using that art form. My kids, they're too young to even have like an open face casting reel that you get at Walmart. So I had to get the Snoopy rods. There's nothing more humiliating than showing up as a fisherman with a Snoopy rod. But I show up, And I go and I talk to the person at the bait store, where on this lake is the spot where I will catch fish? And they give me the the specific coordinates, and so I'm walking around with my kids, and and we get to this spot, and I hand my daughter, I think she's about six years old, Hallie, her Snoopy rod. And and she takes that little Snoopy rod and and can barely even do anything with it. I put a little bobber and, and a little worm on it and just... We throw it out. She throws it out, and she's sitting there. And all of a sudden, that Snoopy rod just goes <laughs> right down towards the water. How is like, Wah! like this. I, I, I don't want her to do that Hobbit Lord of the Rings thing where she gets taken to the bottom of the lake. So I grab her around, and you know, I'm holding on to her. And, and the, the fish is so big that it's just stripping out the line. <laughs> so I actually grab the line in the Snoopy rod. I'm like, hold on, Hallie, and I'm pulling the line just with my hands as fast as I can we pull up to the shore a trout now listen I'm a fisherman but I'm not lying that trout (laughs) is this big It's so big, I I pull. I I know if I try to lift on the shore, it's gonna snap the line. So I'm like, Hallie, hold on. I get my net to go sweep it into my net. The head is this far over one side of the net. The tail is this far over the other side. Four or five pound trout. I had never caught a trout this big. This is awesome. This is glory. And it's my daughter's fish. (laughs) And you know, I learned a lesson that day. Because I love when we were walking up to the shores, Hallie didn't just say this. She didn't go, but Daddy, I can't, fill, I can't fish. I feel so unequipped. She didn't say that. Or she, she didn't look at me and say, Father, I have not grown in maturity enough to, to throw out my line. <laughs> she, she didn't say that. She didn't say, but Father, I have not been to fishing school. These were not the things that she said. What I love about my little daughter is that she just realized Herbers fish. That's my last name, Herbers, and everyone in the Herber family just fish. And if all I got is this little dinky Snoopy rod, then I'm going to do the best I can and throw it out there. And so she just throws it out there, just goes a couple feet, and what happens? She catches the biggest trout that anyone in my whole family has caught. Why? Because she was in the right place. At the right time, where the fish were hungry, and here's the last thing, she just tried. Like, just try, Like, so many of us, we're, we're, we're so intimidated, like, I, I can't make disciples, I, I just don't feel mature enough. Well, how about a six-year-old? Well, I, I can't make disciples, I don't have enough schooling, and I haven't been trained. Well, well how, about, how about a little kid? Well, I, I just don't have the right tools. You know, I, I just need the best tools in the books. Well, how about a Snoopy rod? No, listen, you might feel like the most immature person in the body of Christ. You might feel like a six-year-old with a Snoopy rod. But when you go to the right place at the right time and you just try it, you just watch what God does through your life. I'm about to start preaching right here, guys. Because <clears throat> Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not about you making yourself a fisher of men. So many of us feel like, I've got to get myself together enough. I've got to get mature enough. I've got to gain enough head knowledge, and then, and then I'll do it. And no, Jesus is saying, no, you just come up with your little six-year-old self because you're with your father, because You are with your father and just toss out the little thing you got and just say a little prayer. Oh, God, help me catch a big fish. And you might bring in the biggest fish we've ever seen. Why? Because you just tried. You know, last week when we finished the sermon, I came to the end of world mandate and said, God, what do I preach on? And God just made it so clear when you go to the nations, you got to just know how to make disciples. And guess what? We're already in a nation And so I said, you know, if you're willing to actually take an hour of your week and invest in someone who's just a little spiritually younger than you, and you, let me just speak to this live for a second, you're like, man, I am so spiritually immature. Do you know that there's someone always younger in their faith than you? You know, the people that have been saved in here just one week, you're like, man, I'm so new to this. Well, guess what? There's someone that got saved yesterday, or there's someone that gets saved today. You're older than them. You're seven times older than them. <laughs> Jesus didn't want us to wait. Jesus talked to some guys, and they weren't the Pharisees in the temple. He just talked to some fishermen and said, I will make you fishermen. It's his work to train you, it's Jesus' work. Just give him a chance. Just give him a chance to make you into a disciple maker. So last week when I said, who's willing to do this? I actually closed my eyes because I'm like, how many people are really willing to do this? Because not many people do this in the American church. Most people just want to come and sit and listen to a good message and have some good worship and just get fed. But they're not willing to actually do the work themselves. But I know the Bible in Ephesians 4 says that God actually tells it. He gives apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're called to do the work of the ministry. It's your job to do the work of the ministry. I'm just a coach up here going, Yeah, yeah, go, go. Right? That's my job. And I do it myself so I can model it to you. But it's your job. Every person is called. And so I close my eyes and I'm like, God, who's going to actually raise their hand? And I look up, you know, and, and I see that the whole room is standing. And the thought hit me we're about to have a discipleship revolution. We're about to have a discipleship revolution where we actually have a church where it's not the 80-20 rule. You've heard this maybe before that 20% of the people of a church actually do the work of the ministry and the other 80 just sit around. No, we're about to have a revolution where every person realizes I can make disciples. And when that happens, it's gonna just start becoming an infection in schools, an infection in the hospitals, an infection in your businesses where just discipleship starts going in and infiltrating and changing lives. It's the way that Jesus said he'd transformed the world. So here's your practical this week. And, and please, don't miss next week, because we're actually going to start giving you the step-by-step plan. It's so easy that a six-year-old can do it. Okay, It's that easy, it's that reproducible, and we're actually going to introduce it on a, on a piece of technology that I think is going to go around the whole world. I'm stoked about this. But for this week, here's your assignment. If you go ahead and stand up. Would you commit to this week praying for a disciple or praying for a couple of disciples? Would you just start asking God, God, show me. And, and remember, don't just don't just pray without wisdom. Be looking in this church this morning. Be looking in your life groups this week. Be looking at your schools. Close your eyes, please. If you'd say, hey, this week I'm willing to take that practical step of praying. I'm gonna try to pray this week of who to disciple. I'm gonna ask God to put people in my path. If you're willing to do that, if you're actually willing to do that, would you just raise your hand right now and I'm gonna pray for you. God, I pray for every person whose hand's up right now. I pray that you'd remind them to pray. And I thank you that you're gonna answer their prayers and I pray you to open up their eyes and I pray you to start connecting them with people they can invest in. And I thank you that there's a blessing involved here because your word says I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you'd know every good thing you have in Christ. And this is a way that you're gonna actually bless them and draw them closer to you as they start investing in someone else. Now just put down your hands for a minute. Practical number two. Some of you are just saying, man, I want to be discipled so bad. For me, my life took off. You just hear all these stories about me talking about meeting with Mark Masterson. If you want to be discipled, now you don't have to be discipled to start making disciples, but if you want to be discipled, here's my practical for you. Go to your life group. If you're not in a life group, jump in one. Go to your leader of your life group. Guys go to guys, girls go to girls. It'd be super awkward if you didn't. You know, a guy went to a girl, he's like, hey, can I disciple you? Don't do that. Go and just say, hey, I, I'd like to be a disciple. i like just for someone to invest in me and to help me grow in my relationship with God. Robert kind of talked about that on Sunday. Can we do that? Not this week, but starting next week, every life group in our church is going to launch discipleship groups. Many of our life group leaders are already discipling people. But they're going to launch discipleship groups, whether it's led by a disciple, I mean, by a life group leader, or led by someone else in the group that you can jump into. You just need to ask. Don't wait for someone to come and ask you to disciple you. That didn't didn't happen for me. I had to go. Actually, I asked four people before I finally found someone that would invest in me. Ask someone to invest in you. All right, I'm just going to pray to close our time here. Father, we want to be an obedient church and I believe going out of here we're gonna have a discipleship revolution. I believe that you're gonna equip us to be discipled and to make disciples and that is going to make for a strong city-shaking, region-shaking, nation-shaking, and nations shaking church. This was your plan, Jesus, it wasn't our plan, this is what you set and so we ask that you give us grace to walk out in this, and this last thing, if there's ones here this morning that you came and you're like, man, this whole discipleship thing, that's awesome, but I don't even know if I've started a relationship with Jesus. I want to nail that down today. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He paid the debt that you owed because your sins separated you from God, and when he, He died, he didn't just stay in the grave, he rose again from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and he lives in heaven, but he also wants to come and make his home in your heart. He wants to make you spiritually anew, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, but you wanna do that today, I just wanna encourage you to pray with me right now, just to nail it down once and for all that Jesus has taken away your sins and you have a new life in him. You can just pray right after me, just say, Jesus. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'm going to walk with you forever. And for those of you that just prayed that prayer, I just want everyone to keep their eyes closed, but I just want you to look up at me and wave real quick. I'm not going to point you out, but I am going to pray for you. But you just wave at me if you're just saying, yeah, today, Pastor, I'm praying with you. Just wave at me so I can see you wave awesome who else okay I see you too who else just wave at me real quick so I can see that's you awesome Lord for the ones that are raising their hands let them know that you've removed their sins from them that today you're forgiving them and giving them a new life let them walk with you all the days of their life in Jesus name prayer team come quickly up here Here's the invitation for those to come up front. If you're today saying, man, I am ready. I am ready to step into making disciples, but I just need boldness. I need someone to pray with me. I'm a little fearful. That's how I was when I started. Just come up and let these guys lay their hands on you and pray for you. If you're one of the ones that just gave their life to Jesus, we want to hand you one of these books. We want to give you a free book about Jesus. It's going to help you in your relationship with him. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay for our salvation, he paid for our healing. We want to pray for you that are sick this morning as well. Give God a chance to heal you. So as we sing one last song, I just want to encourage you to just boldly come forward, whatever your need is, to get prayer, and we'll have one last song to close our time.